going to talk about heavenly bread. I like bread. I love meat. Bread is number two. You know, when you have a great meal, it's just kind of a memory. And my wife and I, we were really excited on Friday night because we were getting to hang out with Paul and Tammy, otherwise known as Grayson's mom and dad. We had heard so much about Paul and Tammy through our son Luke uh, through many years. And then we got to meet them when we went out for Luke's graduation. We didn't really get any, we didn't get any hang time. So this is our first chance to spend time with them. And so, you know, we wanted to have a great meal. So I introduced them to Tri-Tips so they could get that Southern Cal meat experience. But, you know, right before the, the dinner, we had a nice little unexpected surprise. I got a text from my buddy Augustine, and he said, are you home? And I said, yeah, why? And he goes, I have some bacon for you. Now, Augustine has been uh, living on a ranch, and they, they've raised, was it two hogs or more? More, more hogs. All organic. You know, they, I think they hug them every day. But they, they're really loving up on these pigs. And I know it's probably not a surprise if you've known me for very long that I love bacon. And so Augustine had some fresh, uh, smoked, thick-cut bacon. And so he, he said, yeah, you know, okay, I'll come by and bring you bacon. So it was this Ziploc bag full of this amazing bacon. So we're going to use that for our breakfast in the morning. And so we had eggs and toast and all that. But definitely the highlight was the bacon. And we had this other Hormel applewood smoked thick cut bacon. And we kind of did a little taste test. It was the worst bacon. And there's no such thing as bad bacon compared to this. And, you know, it just kind of made that moment. And, you know, I know you're thinking, you're talking a lot about bacon. I'm actually going to transition and talk about bread because see then you could have a good bacon sandwich on bread so you can create that in your mind but Jesus did a lot of great ministering around meals you know I think it's a spiritual thing to share a meal together and then you deal with the spiritual life as you're eating and as you're fed and as you're satisfied. You know, you see that in the Bible. So many festivals were just big parties and they shared big meals. And then they dealt with heart issues. And in John chapter 6, it's one of those times uh, Jesus and his disciples end up on the far side of the lake of Tiberias. The crowds, they, they find him. And now they're... Hungry, and the disciples are trying to get Jesus to send them away. They're like, man, there's nothing we can do. And then they find a boy that has five small loaves, and they find a few fish. And Jesus prays. They have everybody sit down, and then they distribute them. And more than 5,000 people are fed. And I love what it says in verse 12 and 13. It says, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Of course, the disciples got a little lesson on what Jesus could do. And they got to see the multiplication because they saw what they started with, five small loaves. And then they each got a big basket of leftovers to carry. You know, that's like the campus ministry. If you're married and you're going to clean out your fridge and you're thinking, I don't know what to do with it, just put it all in a bag, give it to the campus brothers because they will eat it all and be very grateful. That's a great spot for the leftovers. But so each disciple got this basket of leftovers. And... You think about that moment. So here was a hungry group of thousands, and Jesus fed them. I want you to just imagine for a moment you're, you're hungry. You haven't eaten. You know, in our modern language, we're starving, which if you're under 21 means I haven't eaten in two hours. 
but you're starving. And somebody says, oh, yeah, I made you something. And then here's what Jesus made. And you look, and there it is, some good moldy bread. But you're starving. You're like, um, well, I was hungry. That's not really what I had in mind. You know, I was thinking maybe a nice sourdough loaf or, you know, PB&J on Wonders white bread. That's the best. I know there's not a lick of nutrients in it, but if we're honest, it absolutely tastes the best because it's soft and squishy and just good with PB&J. But no, Jesus decided to make you this moldy bread. You know, right about now you're like, Jesus, I'm hungry. And this is not what I wanted. I do not want to eat that. That is not digestible. That is disgusting. I want something better. Well, you know, we're thankful knowing that Jesus is Lord and Savior. So he doesn't provide moldy bread, but he actually provided, the Bible said, barley loaves. That's what he multiplied. And that's this, you know, barley loaves is kind of eaten like brown rice. Brown rice, you know, it's like little sand pebbles in it. The healthy bread, you know, it's got like all the stuff. And you're like, you know, okay, if you're trying to eat healthy and get your fiber and all that, you know, barley loaves are awesome. But if we're honest, and we can be honest, right, we're going to have a bread moment. You know what we really want for bread? We, We want this. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if I'm the only one that does this, but when I'm buying King's Hawaiian Rolls, I go through the entire rack checking the dates. Because I don't ever, if you're buying bread, it's just good. I'll throw this in for free. You never reach for the ones in the front. Okay, because they put the fresh ones in the back so that you're taking from the front. So you go and you start checking the tags and you can see the dates. So for King's Hawaiian, you, you, you go to the back of the pile, and then you find the freshest one. And you know what? They're so amazing when they're warm. You don't even need butter on those things. Most bread needs butter. King's Hawaiian rolls that are fresh and warm, no butter required. Now, if we're honest, that's the kind of bread we want. We don't want the healthy barley loaves. We don't want the moldy bread. We want King's Hawaiian rolls. Now, you know what's amazing right now is we're hungry and we're thinking about bread and we're thinking about what kind of bread we want. You're not alone. We're going to continue reading the story down in verse 25 of John 6. It says, when they found him. On the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who's given you bread from heaven. It is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, the fact is Jesus fed 5,000. He multiplied these barley loaves and a couple fish. And they were so fired up about what they'd eaten that they started tracking Jesus down. They went around the lake. 
And Jesus tells them, you know what, you're looking for me. Not because you saw the miracle, but because you ate the bread and had your fill. Now, Jesus is not building them up like, hey, thank you for being grateful for the meal that you had. You know, I really appreciate is your bread chef that you liked what I created. That means a lot that you're so encouraging that you wanted more. That's not the conversation he's having. He's saying, you know what, you've you've missed the point. Because you actually think it's about the bread. But you miss the miraculous of what's going on. And so you missed who the true bread was. You missed who the provider was. And you're all excited about the bread. And that you ate and had your fill. You go, oh man, those people. How self-centered can you be? They got Jesus in front of them, and all they are is focused on the bread. They're going around because they're excited about the bread. You know what? We're really not all that unlike that crowd. But you know what? It's not about bread for us. It can be things like, oh, you know what? I'm going to come to church because I know I will get some friends. And so, you know what, I, I see people that I think I could be friends with, so I really like this church. Or maybe it's, hey, I'm single and I might find a spouse. So I think I'll come to church because I, I might be able to find a spouse. You say, no, you know, for me, I actually really like the teaching. And so I'm looking for one that just it has the teaching that I want. No, for others, maybe it's the building. Oh, this is, you know, this is a beautiful building. Oh, you know, they meet in a school. Or we meet in a home. And it's like, it's, it's the building. It's got the newest, biggest building. You know, sometimes it's about the music. You know what, I just, I, I really like this church because the music, it just, it fills me up and, you know, when I, I just hear that music, and so I like this music better than this music. And you go, are we all that different than the crowd that followed Jesus around because of the bread? You see, the point of the bread that Jesus gave them was a miracle that should have led them to point number one, to ask what, why, and who. It's not about the bread. It's about, oh wait, what what happened? How did we get the bread? Why did we get the bread and who provided it? Okay, so who, who is this man that did this? The whole point of the feeding of the 5,000 should have brought people to a focus on Jesus. It should have got them to focus on the Heavenly Father. And Jesus said, no, you know what? You're actually chasing me around the lake because you ate the bread and had your fill. No, there wasn't anything wrong with the bread. Jesus didn't serve them up moldy bread. But see, the problem is if your focus is on the bread, somebody can give you a nice slow, uh, nice, nice slice of Barley loaf, and you're like, yeah, I don't like that. It's got all this like stuff in it. I prefer just like King's Hawaiian bread. And so Jesus provides us with something, but we've now become a connoisseur. It's now deli style. No, I'm just kind of looking for the one that's providing exactly what I want, and. W- We've stopped looking at the provider. You know, we can even do this after we become committed Christians. And we start looking at, and we think, well, what what are my needs? Is this meeting my specific need? Well, if it's not, then this isn't the bread I like. And it all is, are, are we focused on Jesus 
or is our mindset about what he does for me? You know, Southern California commitment to church and the body of Christ often is viewed optional. Like, okay, I'm tight with Jesus, but I'm not, you know, I don't know about the church thing. But this is this mentality. Because about, well, what do I feel like I need? So I have no problem skipping because I don't feel like I'm hungry right now. But Jesus says, I have something for you, but we're not there to receive it. And so we constantly have to ask ourselves, are we focused on the heavenly bread? Or have we ignored Jesus and it's now become this practical religious lifestyle and our theology is about what, what am I getting out of it? What, why, and who? You know, I appreciated hearing Grayson share about his love for Ivy. And, you know, we've seen this. I know, um, I've known Grayson now for a number of years, and I knew Grayson back when he was uh, first interested in Ivy. And I remember having conversations with Grayson, like giving him some pointers, like, Grayson, you need to have a plan. You need to be able to verbalize a plan. You can't just like go on a date and go, well, we'll just figure it out. You've got to, you know, vocalize feelings. And now he's up here on stage proclaiming his love for Ivy. You know, it's fun fun to watch that growth. But can you imagine is, uh, if he just stood up here and he said, well, it's just great to be out here because – you know, by, by dating Ivy, I just get so much encouragement. And, you know, I've got some beautiful pictures of her to look at. And, you know, if my friends in Minnesota ask, I can show pictures of her. And so it's just really cool. You know, but he didn't really talk about her. You'd be, wait, what's, what's wrong? No, he's in love with her. And in our Christianity, we need to be in love with Jesus. But our focus can change, and it can go away from Jesus and say, hey, what are you you doing for me? Let's not focus on that bread. Let's be focused on the heavenly bread. I want to go back uh, to verse 14, and this is right after Jesus fed the 5,000. And in verse 15, you get this interesting phrase, don't miss. But it says, Jesus, knowing that they were intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. For now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. I love this line. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered with it with his disciples, but that he had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So you got kind of a cool uh, set of interactions that the Bible gives us insight on. First of all, these people were so fired up about Jesus feeding them with bread that they were going to make him king by force. Now, that's going to be an important little factor when we see some of their response to Jesus later. But but just let that set in. They were so excited. They were like, all right, you're the one. You're in charge. You run the show because we've never seen anything like this. You're now in charge. And you know what? Sometimes that's how we are. We have no experience in the spiritual life. Even if we attended church, if you're like me, I attended church my whole life. But it never studied the Bible. I'd read bits and pieces, and I'd re- read this, you know, kind of story version a couple times through. But I never read it in terms of a book that I'm going to obey. 
And I remember the first time I studied the Bible that way, and all of a sudden, you're just excited, and you're like, whoa, I thought this was just kind of a cool story, but now I realize, man, it speaks to the heart. It changes the life, and you're all excited. You're like, that's it. Okay, one Bible study. You're in charge. I see so much benefit in this. I I want my life to change. I'm really fired up about the bread that I'm getting right now. You're the man. We have no idea what we're saying, but we're excited at that moment, and, and we're like, you're the one. Okay, now the disciples, on the other hand, they're in this boat, and they're rowing against a headwind, three or four miles, which is a long way to row uh, against a headwind. And so they're straining at the oars, and then Jesus comes walking out to them. Of course, they're terrified. And then you have that line. It says, you know, he says, don't be afraid. This is I. It says, then they were willing to take him in the boat. So you had Jesus wanting to be with his disciples in the boat. He wanted to be with them, but you had a willingness problem. It wasn't a Jesus problem. It was a willingness. You know, sometimes Jesus approaches you. Maybe it's through a friend. Maybe it's through a neighbor or a family member. And Jesus is like, hey, I see you're, you're rowing against a headwind. Your life looks pretty hard right now. I'd like to help. And you're like, no way. I, 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 no, 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 no. We, I got this. Thanks, Jesus. And he's like, don't be afraid. I'm right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, I, I, I tried church before. I had a really bad experience. And I don't want to, you know, I'm, I, no. Jesus, you just stay outside the boat. Can you just text me some insights, Jesus? Or maybe, you know, you know, just put a couple Facebook posts on, uh, you know, and I'll read them, you know, just from a safe distance. And so, you know, we want Jesus' spiritual insight, but we, we don't want him in the boat with us because that would be scary because who knows what's going to happen if Jesus is that close to my heart. Can you relate to being afraid? I'll tell you what, I, I get so sad as a minister by hearing story after story after story of people that had bad experiences with churches growing up, and because of that, they said, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. And all you can say is, I'm sorry, that is not the Christianity that God teaches in the Bible. But sooner or later, it boils down to don't be afraid, it's me. And are you willing to let Jesus get in the boat with you? You know, there's safety when it's at a distance. That's why church hopping is so popular. Because you can just go from one church to another to another to another, and you don't develop any depth, so it's never scary. You just you observe. There's no commitment. There's no, you know, intimacy. Nobody really knows what's going on in your life. So when they ask, you can just go, everything's great, and smile and go on your way. But to let Jesus in the boat means you've got you to gotta let down the guard. You've got to let him invade your personal space. You ever talk to somebody who invades your personal space? I got a couple friends that are space invaders. Maybe that's where that came from. And I remember telling one of them, I was like, okay, you need to stop. Because, like, I would back up, and then they'd move forward. And I said, okay, you need to stand still, and I'm going to back up just a little, and now let's continue this conversation. I don't need to talk to you like this. So I don't know what your personal space boundaries are, but I'm quite sure of this. Jesus will figure out what they are and he will invade it. And he will want to be there, but God will not mandate beyond your will. See, that's where willingness comes in. He will not make you do what you do not want to do. 
Now, he can make life uncomfortable. Like he can put you in stormy weather so you're rowing against a headwind. And you know what's really cool? They let Jesus in the boat. And then it says, then the boat immediately reached the shore. When I get to heaven, there's a lot of things in the Bible I want to watch, you know, Blu-rays of. Actually, it's in 4K right now. They just updated, you know, surround sound 7.2. I want to see that. Like, okay, what happened? Did it just, like, speed really fast like a powerboat? Or did it just go bloomp on the lake to the shore? But Jesus, you know, they're rowing and they're struggling and they're failing. Jesus gets in the boat and it's boom, we're here. You know, it's just, I don't know. I find it interesting that not one of the disciples even comments on it. Or at least it didn't get recorded. Like, wow, that's cool. I think they're around Jesus enough. I think they were used to seeing those kind of things. But I I thought it was pretty awesome. So then, you, you see, you got the group that were following Jesus, but he wanted to get in the boat with them, and it required willingness. And maybe that's where you're at right now. You see Jesus, and he's reaching out to you, but you're kind of afraid of what may be in store if you give it 100%. Or if you really let him in, if you let your guard down and you say, okay, here's who I am, here's what's going on in my life, Here's what's going on in my marriage. Here's what's going on in my family, my job. Here's what makes me happy. Here's what makes me sad. Here's what happened to me as a kid. And you just say, here it is, Jesus. And you're stuck because you're afraid. You know what? Jesus is there for you. He's reaching out his hand. But it requires willingness give jesus a chance open up open up and see what he does then you got this group and it's kind of a funny story i think so you know the disciples land they figure out jesus is not there so then they take a boat and they go around and then then they're having this conversation and it's like wait a second okay there was only one boat and jesus didn't get in it He left, so then where is he? So then this whole crowd starts trying to figure out where's Jesus. You know, sometimes you're in a rough uh, storm, and Jesus comes walking out to you and confronts your personal space, and it requires willingness. You know, other times, you have to go and search. you got to put two and two together. And you say, okay, i got to do some, some reasoning here and go, wait a second. Okay, there was Jesus, but... This happened and that, and so now I'm going to put some effort in. You know, there are a lot of conversations and a lot of effort, hours expended to find Jesus. Now, can you imagine how the story would have been if they go, oh, well, Jesus left. Well, too bad for him. He's missing out on his time with me. But see, when you have the miracle worker in front of you, he is worthy of your effort. I think some of us can be stuck at that barrier. We're like, okay, that was pretty cool, this experience with Jesus, but wait, Tuesday night midweeks? Every week? Like, seriously, every Tuesday night you guys meet? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Sunday mornings, that's pretty good. You want me to come on Tuesdays? You want me to study the Bible? I don't know. I don't know. I'm really busy. No, see, when when you're convinced that you have the opportunity to sit at the feet of the miracle worker, you search him out. And you know what? Some of you are here because of that. You're like, I know there's something more. I mean, I've seen glimpses, but, I, you know, I'm just not, I'm not fully satisfied. I don't have all the answers, but I know that if I can just get to Jesus, I'm going to get the answers that I need. And so you're talking to people and you have it. Where do you think I might be able to find him? Give me some input. Give me some direction. Okay, I'm going to walk around the lake. Some are getting into the boat and they're cruising across the lake that way. It takes a lot of effort. But they were convinced that if they could get to Jesus, it would all make sense. You see, 
this group of people that we read about, they, they saw the sign. They were going to make him king by force. Then they were willing, and they went in search of Jesus, which is the second point. The signs, the search, and the surrender. Remember, we're talking about the heavenly bread. Jesus, Jesus is the one. And we're, we're trying to get our focus back on him. Well, the story continues, but I want to go back in verse 29. And Jesus tells them, you know what? You guys are following me because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. And, you know, and he's like, no, my father's the one that gives you bread. And they're, and they're, they're like, okay, well, um, what must we do? To do the works God requires. And Jesus says the work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. You ever think of faith as a work? It's hard work. It's a continual challenge. Faith in what? To believe in the one he has sent. We've got to constantly be working on our faith. What? To bring it back to Jesus. To be in love with the man. Well, it goes on. Verse 41 and 42. It says, At this the Jews there began to grumble about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? And then in verse 51 and 52, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, here you are with the bread from heaven, the miracle worker. And Jesus like, you, you can see him. He's like, I'm the one. I am the bread. It's not the barley loaves that you ate. Let's not get focused on the earthly bread. It's me. God gave you me. You've got to have faith in me. It's about me. And Jesus uses emphatic language. He says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. Now, this was not some, you know, gross cannibalism going on here. The point was, unless you are completely consumed with me, you won't make it. And what did you say? They're like, wait a second. He's saying he's the bread from heaven. Now, you, you remember what we read before? What did they think after they were so fired up about their meal? So they were going to make him king by force. Isn't it amazing how they start? They're like, yes, you're awesome. You're in charge. I'll do anything for you. You need to be put in power. And she's like, okay, I'm out of here. You're, you're totally clued out right now. But they're like, no, you're the one. I'm so excited. Da, da, da. And now all of a sudden, Jesus starts getting into the heart. And he says, no, it's about me. I'm the bread. And they're like, wait a second. We know his mom. We know his dad. How can he say he's from heaven? And a little later, they're like, what's this guy talking about? Is he going to give us his flesh to eat? You know, what a change. King by force. They become cynical. Lineage. Credentials. I love Grayson. He's Minnesotan. That's that's hard to say when you're from Iowa. But he has some Iowa DNA in him, which is the coolest parts of who he is. His family from there. There's a lot of Iowa-Minnesota banter. But you think about Jesus, and here he is giving them 
the answer. And all they can say is, you know what? You're crazy. You're crazy and we know your parents, so therefore you're not from heaven. Who do you think you are? You ever been there? Somebody challenge your life or lifestyle? Says the Bible says this. You need to change. You need to repent. You need to stop sleeping together. Who do you think you are? You know, when Jesus gets in there and he starts digging with our heart, he says things that makes no sense. But he's not looking for our approval. He's trying to make us into his likeness. And you can get offended. You can get challenged. Say, what's your response to him going to be? This brings us to point three. You got to believe, and you got to battle, and you got to bond. Faith in Jesus is a starting point. Maintaining it is the battle. It's like the person that says, oh, dieting's easy. I I do it like thousands of times a year. You got the point, right? The, The goal is not to have a highlight faith moment once every six months where we really are locked into Jesus. No, the real challenge for us is maintaining that faithfulness each and every day when we feel like it, when we don't feel like it. It is a battle, which is why Jesus said, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I remember studying the Bible in Toronto, and I I remember being challenged on my lifestyle. And I remember a a prayer that I had with God. And the, the basic gist of it was, God, you're asking too much. It's impossible for anyone to really live this way. It's too hard. Because I, I knew my sins, and then I saw the standard the Bible was laying out, and I thought, there's no way I can live this way. This is unrealistic. No. I can't do this. It's a battle. Yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, I believe he died for me. Yeah, but do you believe that he's the one that can run the show in your life? Well, I don't know about that. You know, neither did the Jews. You go down to verse 60. And it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Man, what a battle. Yeah, we hear that. You know, the you got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. The Jews did not say, well, this is a difficult teaching. I don't really understand this theologically. No, they fully understood what he meant. They said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You know, the Christianity of the Bible, the Christianity that comes from God, the Christianity of the miracle worker who died on a cross is not one that's comfortable, not one that's palatable, not one that just fits into our normal routine where no change is required and it's easy. No, there's a lot of hard teachings in the battle that you and I will face. Is not, can we understand it? No. Can we accept it? Are we willing to put it into practice?
this is not like a spiritual club. Let's get together and, you know, and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It's total commitment. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God. He is the heavenly bread. What's your challenge? I love this next quote from Richard Rohr. He was a Franciscan monk. He says, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. Say, isn't that true? Where's the unsurrendered part of your life? Do you have faith there? Because, see, if you're, if you're like me, you, you want to find the exception, right? And so somebody says, man, you've got to grow in your faith. Go, no, no, no. I believe Jesus, Son of God. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. You know, but I believe this quote is so accurate because it's saying, well, what part of your life are you struggling to surrender control to the true manna from heaven? And we want to come up with our list. No, no, no. Jesus has control of this. He has control of this. He has control of this. But where's the area you're thinking of right now that you're like, "Uh uh-uh. Not my career. Not my money. Not my future. Not my education. Not my relationships. Not my free time. You know, we, we have things. And you may have thought of something that I didn't bring up. You see, 90% in control is not being in control. Can you imagine a young boy telling his dad, the son says, you know, or the father says, son, do you trust me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I trust you in this area, in this area, in this area. What about this area? Well, no, I don't. But, but I trust you. You get the point. Jesus will search out all the areas that you're afraid to surrender. And he will confront it. He will force a choice. You say, well, what's it sound like? Well, it usually starts with grumbling. You know what? Jesus hears our grumbling. Humans, they may not hear our grumbling. Sometimes they do. But Jesus always hears it. Uh, you know, I remember I was teaching a class to young ministers, and we were talking about counseling and leading Bible studies and stuff like that. And they said, well, what do you do if somebody gets upset? I go, smile on the inside. And they're like, why? And I go, because I know that if somebody's really touchy about a subject, I'm like, awesome, we found an area. Like, well, what do you mean by that? This right here. You know, and people are like, yeah, fine, hey, whatever, that's great. They're like, okay, awesome. But when they're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what are you trying to say? You know, the tone changes. You're like, okay, we're getting warmer. Don't run away from that. Ask more questions. Ask more specifics. Because you know what we get touchy about? The areas that we want to be in control of. And we do not want to let the manna from heaven run the show. So Jesus is saying, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, he said, unless you're totally consumed with me and by me. So I am the, the ultimate show in your life. Unless I'm that, you have no life. And they start grumbling. Oh, it's a hard teaching. Who can accept it? What did Jesus say? You know how modern Christianity... Um, portrays itself oh i'm so sorry i didn't mean to offend you no come back come back come back that's not jesus you know what jesus said does this offend you what if you see me go to heaven right now how are you gonna handle that just like oh no they're upset with me i shouldn't have said that darn it I'll rework my sermon for the next group. 
No, they started grumbling. He looked at me and he goes, does this offend you? He's like, guys, I'm trying to set you up for victory. I could go to heaven right now. You couldn't even handle that. If you don't get this, you're not going to get the big picture. A lot of times we want the results of a surrendered life, but we don't want to surrender. We want the man a bringer to provide us with, oh, I want this, and this is what Christianity should do for me. But I don't really want to have to be totally surrendered. I just want to be mostly surrendered. Jesus says, no, it doesn't work. And we grumble. And Jesus looks right at us and says, does this offend you? He said, no, the words I've spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life, but there's some that don't believe. He said, the spirit gives life, but the flesh counts for nothing. You know what annoys us? You know what we grumble about? Fleshly things. When was the last time we grumbled about our spiritual life? And it was a spiritual issue. Nah, we grumble about fleshly things. And Jesus says, like, man, my words are spirit. The flesh, that doesn't matter. Who cares what your life is like? I'm trying to get you to heaven. I want you to be with me for eternity. Don't live for fleshly things. But that's what we grumble about, isn't it? That's why we're not surrendered. Fleshly things. Jesus says the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. In verse 66, it says, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Wait, it called them disciples. And they're like, Nah, we've heard enough. This is too much. Can't live this way. You know what Jesus did? He looked at the 12 and he goes, You want to leave too? Jesus was never interested in large numbers. Now, he wanted to save everyone he could. But it was never about the crowd. In fact, it seems like every time Jesus had a big crowd, he preached his most hardline sermons. And he starts losing large numbers of disciples. He looked at the 12 closest guys and he goes, you going to leave too? It's like, where's your heart? And it says, Simon Peter asked, or answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You see, when you're locked in on the manna bringer, you go, yeah, there's going to be hard stuff. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to require sacrifice and surrender. But you know what? What else are we going to do? You know, when you're in love with Jesus, that's your answer. It's like, to, to whom should we go? What else would make sense? It's like Grayson said. You do crazy things when you're in love. What else would I do? To whom should we go? He continues. He says, you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Isn't it interesting what Peter says? We've come to believe and know. Well, if you believe something, don't you know it? So why did he say that? That could be weird if I said, ah, I was really excited to meet and greet Paul and Tammy. Like, that's weird. That's kind of like, that's great to meet them and spend time together. He's like, okay, believe gets you started, but then know is where the conviction is, right? That you're the Holy One. You say, how are you going to respond? Because every single one of us are going to face these challenges almost on a daily basis, whether you've been a disciple for 30 years or whether your journey has just begun or whether you just got invited out to church and you really have no knowledge of Jesus or the Bible and you're just kind of intrigued by, well, let's see what happens. You have a battle in front of you. It's not about the bread. We're not trying to figure out, do we like barley loaves better or King's Hawaiian rolls? Everybody knows what you like, King's. Still the best. 
We're not supposed to come to church to analyze. Well, they sang this song. That wasn't my favorite. I wish they would have sang that one. I would have had a much better worship experience if they would have sang that song. No. All, all of those things that are part of the church life are awesome, but it's about the true manna from heaven. Say, wherever you're at, are you locked in on Jesus? Could you answer the same way Peter did? To whom shall we go? It doesn't matter what opposition. It doesn't matter if we're being persecuted. It doesn't matter if we lost relationship because of it or a job. Yeah, we've had people lose jobs. Salesmen that are trained to lie to make a sale. They say, no, I'm not going to lie to make a sale. Then you're fired. We've had people lose jobs. But like Peter, can you say, I mean, what what choice do I have? What's the other option? Okay, we got Jesus. We got the true manna from heaven. What, What else? We certainly would want moldy bread. Now, there is only one option. To whom shall we go? He says, he has the words of eternal life. Do you believe and know that he's the Holy One? You know, when you believe and know that he's the Holy One, we live differently. Our priorities become clear. Our schedule changes. What matters most to us changes. How we function in our relationships change. Why? Because we believe and know that he's the Holy One. Say, so whether you're afraid and you're working on the willingness part, Jesus is like, hey, I'm trying to get in the boat and help you. Be willing. Maybe you're battling with the commitment, and at first you're fired up, and you're like, yeah, we're going to make you king by force. And then Jesus comes and he starts preaching to your heart and you're like, mm, grumble, grumble, grumble. No, it's a battle. But he's the holy one. He's the heavenly bread. And so let's direct our eyes, let's direct our hearts to Jesus. Because he's what's going to sustain us. He's what's going to give us eternal life. He's what's going to give us hope. He's the true gift from heaven. So let's keep our eyes focused there as we live our life and respond to him. Amen. Let's stand as we close in one final song.